Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News Preview Show. I'm your host, Paul Bernardoni's hotter, younger brother, also known as Lewis McParlane. Now today on the show, and I didn't even realise this until it was actually pointed out to me, we have, you know, like three or four of the past and present hosts of GFFN's podcasts. Uh, Thomas, I don't know what we're calling you these days. Are you co-host, regular <laughs> panellist, podcast wife? I don't know what you want to go by. <laughs> I, I like podcast wife. I think that works. I think we can run in the preview show. Just crying over Piku things. Uh, let's start with Mr. Wiseman. So, Thomas. As you've definitely heard, Ryan Aitnuri, left-back extraordinaire, he has been linked with a Crystal Palace move, but it's in doubt due to him breaking his jaw in recent weeks. So uh, we want you to spill the news, you know, come clean. Was it you that flew to the Pays de Loire to give him a swift right hook? Or was it Piku? Was it Moulin? Just to keep him in, just to keep him in France, stop his, stop his transfer. Did you have uh, any say in that broken jaw? <laughs> no, it was um, it was unfortunate collision with um, one of the Nice players um, in the in the recent game. Um, so I think he's he'll be out for up to three months probably. Um, so I think Andre will probably be looking for a replacement left back for now. Are they? So is the is the deal off because of that? Because that's hilarious. The deal was never on in the first place. <laughs> so you wait till some. At least so we'll see. <laughs> Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace. Doesn't work, does it? It's not sexy enough for him. <laughs> uh, and we also have former GFFN podcast host with us today, now gone but never forgotten, and back on the show for the first time in a while, it's Nathan Staples. Nathan, sir, how is life serving you? Uh, gently is maybe the best way of putting <laughs> it, but it's it's nice to be back and uh, sit down in a comfy chair for a change and and have a, a nice relaxing chat about French football because it it does feel like it's been an age and uh, you know uh, old hands need to keep busy. <laughs> and finally, to round off the, the the group of hosts we have tonight, we have Pierre Paul Birmingham, the sexiest name on today's show, not going to lie, <laughs> uh, host of Tuesday's news show. Now, I've actually got a question for you, and I'm going to start sure. with Pierre Paul, but this is for you all. So mm-hmm. we saw Robert Moreno's extremely casual get-up against PSG on Sunday and Wednesday. You know, I feel managers usually have to either be seen dressed in one of two extremes. You know, either it's your first day of school with your blazer, your shirt, your tie, like your mum's just dressed you, or you've just been let go from your job as a bricklayer and you're going full tracksuit. You know, it's one of the extremes you have to go with. Moreno kind of had a a bit of a middle ground with a leather jacket with a hoodie under it, which I absolutely love. You know, this was one of the biggest matches or two of the biggest matches in his still rather young career against one of the biggest teams in the world. And he turns up like he's going to an ACDC gig or something like that. I just find it (laughs) hilarious. So, Pierre... If you were a manager, if you were a coach at the side of the pitch, what would you be wearing? Would you go full suit and tie or, or track suit, something in between? What would be your, your fashion style if you were a manager? Ooh, I wasn't expecting your question to take that turn. <laughs> um, I think whatever I was wearing, I would wear the Arsene overcoat on top, which would probably hide it. 
because <laughs> that, that looks quite comfortable and nice and warm when you're out there in the wind and the rain. Um, but I do feel I'd be more of a tracksuit guy, to be honest. Yeah. Tracksuit track manager. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, <laughs> what would you be rocking? Oh God, I, I I have to be a suit a, a suit and tie manager. Really. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm maybe sort of um, the occasional maybe overcoat. I I do like the old uh, Sir Alex Ferguson big long professional looking coat, which maybe mm. what I'd wear maybe during the winter, but otherwise suit and tie definitely. Early hybrid days with the big big bully glasses and whatnot. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thomas, what would you sport? Uh, probably a, a jacket, but maybe if it was cold and raining, I'd just wear like a snorkel parka and have my eyes covering <laughs> visor. Actually, I'll just add, with... um, my football manager avatar is, uh, you know, uh, white shirt and, and, and suit pants, but no blazer, no tie, kind of Duncan <laughs> Ferguson style, if you like, but I, I don't think I would do that in real life. <laughs> I'm trying to think what I've got my football manager avatar as. I think he is shirt no tie, you know, kind of yeah. kind of cool. But uh, if I was, if it was real life, I would go like full on Hatem Ben Arfa first day of Newcastle when he turned up in the tuxedo. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just thought that was hilarious. Oh, no, no one wants to go the Florian Tovan rope. Let's 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 not try that. <laughs> oh, was it Tovan? Am yes, I, am yes. I, sorry, bro. Tovan, and it was the. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He he. They both turned up in tuxedos, didn't they? And uh, not many people found the funny side in the end. Oh wow. <laughs> but that's hilarious because they turned up, showed effort, and just did nothing. Like, and then Newcastle hardly did anything. Then flew back to France and had a bit more fun there. Uh, anyway, let's try and talk about football matches. Uh, let's go into a review of some of the midweek games that were played this week. Let's start with the big one. This was Monaco against PSG following up the 3-3 draw in Paris on Sunday. You know, there was a lot of speculation going into this match with Robert Moreno taking charge of his third match in charge of Monaco. Could he get another good result against the champions? It didn't go that way. And the principality, Monaco, ends up losing four goals to one with Bakayoko scoring a late consolation after Neymar, Sarabia and Mbappe times two opened the scoring. So, Thomas, it seemed that PSG were much more in control here. Was it the type of performance you were expecting? Yeah, I think last last uh, last week we predicted more of this kind of game than than what happened um, in the 3-3 draw. Um, but PSG were, were much better at closing Monaco down um, and, and just shutting them down and, and, and playing around them. And they sort of ran away with it towards the end. And uh, Paul Lecomte, he had so many, so many shots. I just looked at the, the shot count. They had 12 shots on the Comps goal. Um, he ended up saving eight of them, but obviously conceded, conceded four. Um, it was, uh, I mean, some of them were very strange. I have no idea how the penalty was given. Um, there was, was no... It was crazy. Um, I, I'm not sure how any officials thinking that's going to be a penalty. Um, uh, a, a bad day off at the office for Camel Glick, uh, despite his good performance on on Saturday. And it was just another, you know, a PSG performance where they, they just sort of took it away from Monaco and and uh, Mbappe, you know, ran the show towards the end. Mm. 
And PSG have, have started to kind of make headway with this 4-4-2 formation. They played it again here with the Fantastic Four that's that's the, the term that's been floating about in the media the last few days with, you know, Icardi and Neymar and, and Mbappe and I take it Di Maria on the wing, I'm assuming, not Sarabia. Mm-hmm. Um, fantastic, fantastic four to, to start it. Nathan, do you see this lineup, this 4-4-2, a, a team that bounced back from that shock draw to go and just punish the opponents in their own backyard? Do you see that being the team that they take into Europe and then really go and, and make a storm for the Champions League this year? It's tough to say, isn't it? Because it works incredibly well in games like this, but it, it can backfire against them. I mean, I, I am enjoying the fantastic four phrase, but I'm sure none of them want to be the uh, the invisible woman um, because that, that will be a <laughs> statement of where they are within that fantastic four. But the worry for me constant, and especially going into Europe, like you say, against a team like Dortmund, is that is it strong enough going backwards, really? Because those are four very attacking players. And you could even argue it in a sense that even if you do rein one of them in, is that still enough? Because, I mean, you can, much like he did against Monaco in the second game, at least anyway, Di Maria was much more of the shuttling player that he can be and and working hard defensively when he could. But the problem with Paris Saint-Germain, with those four, is that it will leave them exposed at times. Neymar will not track back, and that's what you expect from Neymar. Mbappe won't put that kind of shift in either. Icardi is a is a goal mouth goal scorer. He again will not put that defensive work in. So the worry is there that against a team like Dortmund, where it could be a game where it's if you're playing that style where it's attack versus attack, really. And then it just depends on who lands the most amount of punches. And in those kind of games, anyone can win. So that's the the conundrum Tuchel has to sort of battle with. It's, it's good to have Gay and, and Verratti. That's a much better, stronger midfield to have in there. I know they tried the uh, the young the young lad in the middle, didn't they? Kwasi, was it? In the, in the yeah, middle? Yeah, For the first half, I... I, I I can see where he's trying to think of there. He's trying to think of people that can cover the ground to cover those two that are out. And maybe, in my mind, maybe he tries Marquinhos back in that midfield role next to Gay in a Champions League game if he's going to use those fantastic four to try and cover that ground. Because while I like Verratti and I think he's an excellent player in that role, is he quite the battler that Marquinhos can be as a shield and, and moving into those wider areas to defend? I'm not so certain. So maybe he tries that, mate. Maybe in the first leg he might give that a run out in the in Liga before the the European games come up. If he can, or in the in the in the upcoming cup game, maybe is a good chance to at least test it. But it then brings in the question of whether maybe, and it's going to sound a little bit controversial to some at least, is Cavani maybe a better option in the Fantastic Four over Cardi in Europe? given that his work rate is a little bit harder, maybe he's going to be a bit more defensive. He's going to give you that effort as well as still having Mbappe and, and Neymar to, to attack. And maybe that's why they've so far as resisted any options for Atletico Madrid to take him now, although it looks like that's going to be his path in the summer. So mm. maybe there's going to be some tinkering we see. I, I am not fully convinced that this Fantastic Four quite work in Europe unless they can absolutely dominate teams. And that's, not something I've seen yet in Europe, at least. Pierre Paul, what do you think of that? Yeah, I thought it was interesting, Nathan, that you were kind of testing each of the four and seeing, you know, which one of these is is not going to is failing to provide defensive efforts. 
and you didn't say anything about Angel Di Maria, who exactly, you know, was doing that yesterday and was kind of the exception with regards to, to the other three. And it was also a change from from Sunday. And what I noticed yesterday in, in the Wednesday match against Monaco was that a lot of the time when PSG didn't have the ball, Di Maria was kind of more in the middle. It looked almost more like a 4-3-3 than a, than a 4-4-2, um, which also goes to point towards Thomas Tuchel's point when he, you know, when he was quite annoyed about the questions around 4-4-2. And he was saying it's more fluid than that. And I think that's maybe something we have to ask ourselves. And, and certainly a lot of people in the French media are always talking about, you know, the best 11 and what formation, what system is the word in France? What system should PSG use? Which doesn't really take into account that it's it can be very fluid with regards to positioning. Mm. And Di Maria was, he put in some really good tackles uh, yesterday, which uh, is, you know, when you look at a player of Di Maria's physique, it, it's not, you don't always expect that from him. He, he does look a little frail, but he definitely went in and I thought he, he was terrific then. Um, but yeah, it, it was quite surprising to see that he had only changed in his lineup on Wednesday, uh, kind of defensive players start changing three of the back four is always a big shout, but it worked out quite well for them in, in the end. Just to quickly jump in as well, I, I, you make an excellent point there, Pierre and uh, Paul, and, and Di Maria did that excellently at Real Madrid mm. as well. I, I, the only slight worry is having three attacking in a European sense as well. I, yeah. I, I think having all three not possibly getting back and doing any defensive work is my mm, yeah. minor worry. It's, it, I, no, I don't think it's yeah. much of a worry against Dortmund because you know uh, they they have defensive weaknesses. They have too many overloads, and I think in a in a in a well. In a gunslinging match, shall we say, I, I think PSG may be a bit stronger, but I, I am worried sort of deeper down the line, you know, the the, the tougher teams, the Man Cities, the Liverpools, I, I think that would come and stuck against them. Yeah, I feel the difficulty with this PSG team now is it's a case, it's not a case of who do you put where, it's a case of who do you put on the bench, who do you take out, you know, do, do you maybe put a little bit more of a defensive, slightly more defensive winger like Sarabia on the left and that not take out Neymar because you can't do that. You have to put him up front and then you have to take away Icardi or Mbappe. Like it, it, I understand how it gets difficult because if you play with a 4-4-2, Verratti, uh, Marquinhos or Gay, which one of them do you take out? It can turn into a little bit of a headache just having so many good players. Um, and obviously in that midfield, Kwasi starting to knock on the door. It, it, it will be difficult to see and it'll be interesting to see how Tuchel lines up for that Dortmund match in Europe, but I think we can agree that it's going to be a pretty goal-hungry match, no matter how either team set up, you know, they're very similar styled teams, um, although I'm sure Tuchel would disagree with that statement. Uh, <laughs> Kylian Mbappe got a brace uh, in this match, he, he scored twice, uh, right one right at the end, just to just to stick the final nail in the coffin. He didn't celebrate the first goal. Um, he just had kind of a bit more of a downplayed celebration. But at the second, he, you know, ran about, gave his big trademark hands in his haunches right under his armpits, celebrating just as if he'd scored against Montpellier or Nice or Saint-Étienne. And some of the Monaco fans clearly haven't been taking to that too nicely. Thomas, what do you think about that? Do you think he's warranted to go and celebrate that goal or at the home of the team that really made him, gave his career, made him what he is? Is that a little bit disrespectful to do? 
Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think he was interviewed afterwards and did say, you know, this is the club yeah. that that has got me where I am at the moment and and is where, you know, he, he owes a lot to the club. And obviously he didn't celebrate at first, um, but he, he did afterwards. I, don't, I think it's people just getting a little bit annoyed when their teams perform badly and they're just trying to direct some uh, frustration towards another player. I, I do get why players do that. You know, it's, it's respectful to the club. But, I mean, <laughs> there's a certain amount of um, leniency you have to give them because they are, you know, they are scoring, they are playing against you. Um, it's supposed to still be, you know, competitive environment. Um, but most of the time you do see this respect between between the player and the, the club. Hmm. I think I think Mbappe has come out and said that the second celebration was because he was getting a bit of jip from some Monaco mm. fans, and it was a cheeky sort call, of. Man. Yes, it was. A, it was sort of. A, it was sort of a cheeky. Have a little bit of that kind of one. He he, he didn't. Yeah, if, if I remember rightly, it wasn't anything he thought was trying to disrespect them. It was more of a cheeky wink to to nudge, wink wink nudge nudge them a little bit, maybe a bit. How many goals does he have to score against Monaco? Do you think? And, until, you know, how many goals does he have to score before it becomes acceptable for him to start celebrating them? Because he's on a few yeah. already, I think. He's already probably scored too many, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Pierre-Paul, we've now seen three matches under Moreno and, and, and his Monaco mm. side. You know, it's not loads of time to completely change the, the philosophy at a club and whatnot. But what do you think the first three matches have taught us about the Spaniard since he's come in? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, he himself, I haven't really wrapped my mind around him yet. He seems still seems quite mysterious. Um, we didn't know much about him coming in, so that's part of it too. You know, it's his first time as the kind of first as the main manager for a club team. Um, I, I read somewhere that he wrote a book, uh, I think eight years ago, called "My Recipe for 442." Uh, <laughs> but he hasn't been playing 442, so. One of the right things we knew about him <laughs> turns out not to be relevant for now. Um, but I was hearing Keita Balde speak after the match, and, and he was saying that, you know, even though they lost this one 4-1, there seems to be a lot more belief in the side, and, and, and they're quite excited to work with him. And I do think it's, it's, you know, there seems to be a better atmosphere around the club at the moment. And it was already improving, to be fair, um, a little bit before Christmas. But... Uh, <laughs> I think there's there's good things to come in the second half of the season from them, to be honest. Nathan, do you think these, you know, because I feel like when every manager comes in, players always come out and like, oh yeah, there's a new belief, we've got a new belief. <laughs> and then that last six matches and then they're back in a relegation fight. Do you think this one's different? Do you think this is a, a substantial decision, a, a, a substantial appointment that will actually change things at Monaco for the long term? Or do you think it's just another case of a manager coming in doing quite well for a wee bit and then dropping off. What do you think, Nathan? It's tough to say. Um, the the positive thing for Moreno this season is this this mid table of Liga is so close all the time. I mean, he's one win away in a couple of results other ways going, and he, his team is fifth or fourth, and he looks like a, he's a genius. And then, you know, if they can put a run together of of a couple of wins, they could be quite clearly sort of taking over, even potentially running third. I mean, it, it's that close that the littlest difference makes you look like a chump or a champ at the moment. So hmm. he's he's pretty safe in terms of what he can try and do. He only has to hit the medium, you would say, and he might even push for Europe. So 
it's it's an interesting one. The, the important thing for Monaco will be, I, I can't see them getting relegated, really. They, there's massive gap between them and and at least the, the, the bottom two, at least, anyway. Um, so there's no worries of that. There's no real pressure on him to get Europe unless they can string a little bit of something together. And they might still get there relatively easily anyway. So it's an interesting one. Having watched his Spain side, I'm not convinced that in the long term, this will be a good appointment. I don't think his football with what is a talented side and and has a lot of talented young players in that Spanish side as well. Um, Are you thinking of the under 21s that, that won in the summer and then he had tried to integrate a few of them and it hadn't really worked. So, and the fact that, well, he's obviously that long time assistant of Luis Enrique, that relationship has somewhat gone down the pan really, to be fair, <laughs> but um, I, I'm not certain that there's a lot of unknowns about Moreno. And I think a lot of people think that it's certainly a risk. It's maybe less of a risk than someone like Thierry Henry that they had last time. I think that <laughs> it was, while I am a, Obviously, as I've protested in the past, a big fan of Jardim, I think it was the right move to get to go. It wasn't working. Um, is this the right move to move them forward again? I don't think we'll know that answer until the end of the season. I think we have the the rest of the season to see how they play. It'll be interesting to ha- see how they pivot again transfer-wise in the summer, probably. Um, but they need a more cohesive plan of how they're going to build for, like you say, the medium and the long term. They are, at the moment, over the last year and a half, two years, Monaco have been too short-sighted. And that has been a significant problem. And I'm not sure Moreno is that fix, but I'm also willing to be proven wrong very quickly because this is the kind of league to do it. And as someone who's been an assistant, someone who has been successful in multiple good roles I'm, I'm thinking of um he enrique was pretty good at roma he obviously did pretty well at barcelona he was good at spain until until issues as well um in his personal life so and he was a part of that so the expectations will be that hopefully he can do something but um we aren't going to know the answer for another good couple of weeks yet but the the signs so far at least are that he's not continued what jardim has done and the team have had some kind of reaction, but the game at the next week, in a couple of weekends, time against Strasbourg at home is going to be a better indicator of where we are. Mm. I mean, it was, it's you'd be hard pressed to find three more difficult opening matches for any job than the best defence and best attack. Oh, okay, the best team in France, and then the second best defence in France. Like, you, you, it's hard to find a better challenge than those first three matches. And he got, let me think, he got four points from that. I know it's a cup, one was a cup game, but think about it. He got four points from those three games, which isn't a bad return, especially going against PSG, getting their first draw in Paris since 2017. Don't quote me on that. I think it was 2017. Like, you know, the signs are there. I'm personally, I'm quite hopeful. I think there's a lot to respect about a manager who's taking a lot of time being an assistant and then coming and trying to make a game his own. Too many coaches try and go and just step straight into a number one spot, try and be a manager, and it just doesn't really work. Um, whereas guys that take their time, bide their time, study the game as a number two, which is probably a bit of an easier job because you're not so much in the limelight in terms of media and pressure. I think there's a lot of a lot to admire in that. We saw it in Jean-Louis Gasset. You can see it in Mourinho, for instance, if you want to go to a top-class manager. Um, you know, there is 
something to respect about that, which is why I'm quietly hopeful. And I also think it's not a bad job to take. I know there's things upstairs at Monarch you, you could argue about, but the actual pure football and your squad and the money you have available to you, I don't think it's an awful job to take. It's, it's a better one. It's one of the better ones in, in League 1 to take, I think. Thomas, even though uh, Islam Slamani hasn't played much of a part in the opening matches, how much of a loss would he be if he does eventually get recalled by Leicester? I don't know. Has that been confirmed? I think it's still up in the air as it is. But how much would that be a loss if he does leave the Principality, Thomas? Yeah, be, I think it would be a big one. Um, I think the issue here is that I don't know where Moreno would fit him into the system at the moment. Because I, I feel like Ben Yedda's more um, suited to play, play in that position. Um, but obviously Slomani's contributed to a lot of goals for them um, and it's come off the back you know he didn't have a successful time um, after his really first season at Leicester um, and he's he's about 30, 31 now um, but he's been really impressed with Monaco you know he did him and Benyard did have dragged them through quite a few games this season uh, it will be a loss to, to see him go um, but I think on the wider project, um, I, I'm actually not sure it would affect Moreno's uh, vision for where Monaco are going at the moment. Mm. Do you think even his like experience, goals and assists wouldn't be wouldn't be missed that much? Yeah, perhaps. But I, 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 so before, think in like the grander scheme of things. Yeah, if this if this was before Moreno was appointed, mm-hmm. I would have more of a concern about it than now at the moment. Mm-hmm. But it seems as if Moreno's going to put a little bit more, a little bit more um, responsibility in the hands of someone like Keita Baldi, who has played quite well in these first three matches. I know he got a brace against um, Ramps and looked it looked solid in the in the midweek game. It looks like he's going to be a bit more of a, an important player under Moreno, which is quite interesting because he's a guy who needs his career restarted. Um, Right, let's move on to one of the other matches that was played in midweek, and this was Nîmes against Rennes. Nîmes had ended an 11-match uh, winless streak last week as they beat Ramps 2-0. They hosted Rennes with quite a lot of hope, hoping that you know this could put them on a bit of a run, but Julien Stéphane's... What, what are we going to call them? Uh, they're getting a little bit more sturdy now under Stéphane. We'll come on to that in a second. But their Rennes team has Rennes team won. 1-0 with Adrian Anu getting a fantastic goal. If you've not seen it, please go try and find a, a highlight of it. The little ball chipped over, hits the defender's head and kind of glances up and then Anu just sweeps it on the volley, left foot, top corner. It's really, really nice. So, Pierre-Paul, are we in the midst right now of seeing a manager really mature in Stefan? Because I, I feel sometimes... You can look at players' careers and you go, all right, you know, he's a much better player now at 23 than he was at 21 because of X, Y, and Z. But sometimes with managers, that doesn't get paid enough attention to because it's just like, oh, you can't, some people would even argue, you can't become become a much better manager. You're just kind of made for it or you're not. But are we starting to see development in Stefan's management? Because previously in his Ren career, Ren would go on a run of, of five matches and really be playing great football. And then they'd suffer one defeat and go on a 10-match winless streak and just completely lose all confidence. Whereas this season, in this run, they've won loads of matches, lost a game here, lost a game there, but they always manage to get 
get themselves back up on their feet and, and get going again. So do you think we're really seeing the development of, of Julian Stefan right now as a manager, Pierre Paul? Um, yeah, I, I do think so. And it's, it's quite interesting to have this discussion just on the back of the Moreno one, because he's this is also his first time managing uh, you know, the first team of a club. He was the reserves manager for Rennes for, I think, three years uh, yeah. b- before he, he took over in mid-season, last season, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, I mean, it, it all started out pretty well for him, to be honest. It, w- it was a phenomenal year um, with their, you, you know, obviously the qualification against Real Betis, the win against Arsenal, even though uh, they uh, could not cope with us in the return fixture on that one. Um, and, of course, the Coupe de France win. Um, and then this season, it was a little bit of a challenge after the first few matches, they went for, I think, uh, close to 10 matches unbeaten. Um, but what was what I really appreciated during that run was that you could tell that he had the full support of the players and of the fans. Um, and there was one Europa League match, which they lost. I don't remember who, which team this was, but the players stayed on the pitch after the match and, and, and got applauded by... Um, by the fans, they went to greet the fans and so on, and, and the fans were singing Stefan's name. And I think that trust and that confidence in him is just an excellent sign of what he's brought there so far. And as we're seeing now, you know, now they're third, they're, they've got a, a sizable margin between themselves and, well, they've got, they're four points ahead of Nantes and uh, five points ahead of Lille, six of Lyon. So it's uh, seven of Lyon, sorry. Um, I do think he's performed very well. And I do think it seems to me that reserve team managers, when they take over the first team, um, tend to perform quite well in Ligue 1. I mean, another example I'm very familiar with is David Guillon, who was the reserves manager at Reims for a few years as well before before taking over the first team and, and bringing them back to Liga and to the kind of amazing defense that, that we know right now. Um, and, and it's an interesting pathway to take. Yeah. Nathan, what do you think about the, the project that Stefan's really putting together at Rennes now? Still a young manager, you have to remember. Mm, and I think he'll be delighted the fact that they were patient and they gave him the time that he absolutely deserved because October and November doesn't look particularly pretty, really, when you look back at it. I mean, October in all competitions, it was five defeats and one win, and that was scraping past to lose at home. November was three defeats, yes, two in the Europa League that they were pretty much eliminated from already, and only one win, which was against Amiens, but they lost against Dijon. But then December comes round, and they go on a terrific one where they win every game in that month other than the, the loss to Amiens, which is a little bit disappointed. And, and I think it shows the the maturity of Stefan. He, he's weathered that storm. That was something we mentioned a, a lot of times because last season, he obviously had that half season after Lamouche's departure. And, and we thought, right, okay, this seems like a bloke who's on the up and up. He did it fantastic in the, in the Europa League. They tailored off a little bit in the league than we hoped before, but they finished quite nicely given where they were. And we were optimistic about the season. They started terrifically with that winning against Paris Saint-Germain and that 
knock was a worry. It was a real worry because if it carried on into December, would he get the time and patience? And uh, he has shown that. He's shown that in some of his players. I know um, from watching them a couple of times that some of them haven't been in the, the greatest of form. Edward Mendy's been up and down, especially early on, at least anyway. He wasn't necessarily straight away first choice because of a couple of mistakes, but he's starting to set also is the defence a little bit more. Like you say, even... Uh, Yoris Nenyon is not necessarily a, a guaranteed starter at the moment because the Silver and Morel have, have, have done well. The midfield looks nice and strong with Kamavinga as well. They, he's, Stefan's placed his trust in him and he's repaid him with abundance. Rafinha's starting to find a little bit of form as well in the in the forward roles. It's just them finding a regular goal scorer really is still the, the main issue. And they'll be a little bit frustrated against that game at the weekend as well because they were really on top in that second half. They were probably the better side. They had their chances as well, and, and sort of a bit of a look gets Strokeman the, the goal for Marseille, and that would have been really interesting if they could have grabbed that, that if they could have got, if they could have nicked the three points there. You think of them on now on 39 and only two points off Marseille with a big gap to Nol and even potentially close it and potentially being above Marseille, because obviously Marseille would have three points less, they would have three points more. So that would put them on 39 and Marseille on 38. So they could even be in second at this moment. That will be the mildest frustration for me. But that has to be any, it can't be anything more than a positive for, for Stefan. But task is now to keep it going, you know, in the, in, in a couple of weeks time in the cup as well, this weekend need to keep it going. A uh, player for Ren that didn't start his career overly well uh, in the northwest of France was Flavien Tate coming from Angers, an incredible season at Angers. Um, but he finally got, I, I don't think it's officially been called an assist because he chipped the ball up, but then it hit, I can't remember his name, defender, one of their heads, and then it kind of fell to Onu. But I'm calling it his first assist. Get Lee Gunn on the phone. So I'm giving it as his first assist at the club. Thomas. Onji fan extraordinaire. What have we? What are we still to see at Ren and Tate? You know, what do you think? There's still a player there to be seen at Ren that we probably haven't seen yet. He's not really been playing the best football of his career since the move. Um, I think it's been a tough transition for him um, this this first half of the season. Uh, he's come from Angers, you know, a team where he's he's been very comfortable there for quite a few years, and he's a new experience for him going to Ren. Um, and it does take, you know, it can be varied between different players, but it can take, you know, a player quite a t- quite a while to to integrate into, you know, his, his if he's moved places, his life, you know, um, and and the new team and the staff and the coaching. So I think there's much more to come from him, and if he can start to get back to that form that he showed at Angers for, you know, a season and a half at least, um, that could be one of the big factors in keeping Ren, you know flying high in this position they currently are now in this match Nîmes were the losers you know like I said earlier they had come off the back of an awful winless run to win again but then they just got sucked right back into that Pierre Paul Mm. it's it's a difficult discussion because he's a manager that's very loved at the club and he's been there a while and I know towards the end of last year I believe they put out uh, words just saying to get behind the manager but in reality, with them sitting 19th and not in a good run, how close is Bernard Blackheart to losing his job? 
Uh, he was very close, definitely at the Christmas break. Uh, obviously, they won in the cup and they won against Reims over the weekend, which um, you know made things. I, I don't know if that makes things simpler or more complicated, actually, because uh, you know it, it kind of keeps his job for a little bit longer. But now it, it's just a little bit more and more uncertain. And, and there was a quite a damning interview with. Uh, I can't remember his name, but the, but the former Nîmes sporting director that was over the weekend, I think, in the keep. Boissier, yeah. And he said that you know, you know, he was kind of claiming that Blacar was Bernard Blacar was useless now and and wasn't really taking it. I don't know if he was taking it seriously anymore or just you know, kind of lost belief. Um, obviously, he you know, take it with a pinch of salt because. The guy who was speaking had just been sacked from Nîmes and, and was probably a little bit uh, upset with the club. And, and there's been some kind of internal rivalries and, and, and tensions uh, between some of the kind of le- leaders around the club. Um, I don't know. I, I'm one of those people who does like him, but uh, they're, they're not doing very well. That's true. 19th. So... I, honestly, I, I don't know how long he's going to stay on the job. Just quickly to, to round this up, uh, Pierre-Paul, do mm. you think it's really just their really awful transfer window is finally catching up on them? You know, they did a wee bit, they did all right uh, just after the loss of a lot of players in the summer, uh, but it's now starting to kind of tail off. Just to remind you of all the players that they lost in the summer, it's insane when you start to look at it. Teji Savanier, Denny Buanga, Sadatube, Anton Babichon, uh, Aloui, Ferry, Mausa um, has gone, gone, went back from loan. Uh, also, Umit Bozok, who never really kicked it in Ligue 1, but in their title-winning season, or, or um, promotion season, rather, he was their top scorer, I believe, or at least one of their top scorers. So, you know, that is still a loss, even though he never really did a lot last season. Pierre-Paul, it's a lot of players to lose. It's a lot of big players to lose, and it's not as if they replaced much of that, if any, you know. Well, I thought they had some interesting signings, actually. Um, maybe not as kind of big names as, as the guys who left, but also we need to remember that the guys who left were pretty much unknown before last season. I mean, they had had a really good season in Ligue 2 the year before, but they still took Ligue 1 by storm and, and you know, kind of, it was quite unexpected to see uh, these guys performing so well. And they, and they did sign kind of other good league de players like Zinedine Ferrat, like like Philippe Otto. Um, Pablo Martinez from Strasbourg signed, Luca Do from, from Guingamp. And I've, maybe some of those players have a little bit underperformed. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they can do in January. Obviously, the guy who scored the free kick on, on Saturday against Reims is a, you know, that was his first match for Nîmes. He had just signed from on loan from Bordeaux. His name is... Yassine Ben Raoul. Um, and yeah, I, I think the kind of transfer market argument, um, while, while they did lose a lot of very important players, I'm, I'm not sure if it's the full explanation to why they're, they're struggling. Final question on this. Ben Arfa to Neem, yes or no? How fun <laughs> would that be? Ben Arfa to Neem? He would just be like such a talisman for them. I think it should happen. I don't think funds would ha- would work out, but I just think it'd be hilarious. 
I mean, Ben Affleck has been linked to pretty much every team in France, apart from PSG, of course, since since the start of the season. I don't. <laughs> it's yeah. not happening. I don't have any no. inside knowledge. Actually, no, nah, I do have inside knowledge. It's happening. I just want to. I don't know what star stuff. Uh, I just think it'd be hilarious if we went there. Let's I'd love to see him back anywhere, but uh, yeah, I don't know if, when it will happen or who with. Honestly, he's going China, China, Turkey. Yeah, one of the money leagues. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> let's move on to the final match that was played in midweek. This was a 1-1 draw between Amion and Rams, um, with Musa Kanati scoring the goal from for Amion, a rebound off a penalty save uh, from the Rams goalkeeper, and then Kutesa scoring uh, the... Actually, I've said that a bit of a weird order. I think it was the the opener. The other way around, yeah. <laughs> yeah, other way around. It's because I've got this weirdly written in my notes. Other way around, though. Katesa uh, cutting in from the right, running for ages and hitting the goal in with his left open, the scoring for the match. So we've previously talked about a bad transfer team, or at least in my opinion, a bad transfer team for Nîmes. Uh, but our ramps compared to their budget and whatnot and and money at the kind of lowered ends of the table and a former League 2 team. Players like Rajkovic, who saved the penalty, eh, also Marshall Manetzi, who in, here and there has shown a little bit of quality, Bjorn Engels, who recently left, and now Kutesa. They seem like they're a little bit more of a, a better team at transfer windows. Mm. And with Remy Udan recently leaving, there was a bit of panic, like, oh, who's going to score the goals? Who's going to score the goals? But Thomas, this boy Kutesa, who has been a bit more of a bench warmer since joining from Switzerland, came on and really just is starting to make a name for himself. Do you think, even though Udan has left, Rams still have the players to kind of fill that void and, and still keep going on in an attacking sense? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, Udan wasn't, hasn't had a a great half season with them and you know players like Bouladia has stepped up um I think Donis has been um okay and they've still got um uh the Kosovan player what's his name oh, Zanili. Zanili. I can't uh, that one. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I know Nathan's a, a very a big fan of his mm. so I've still got him to to come back um and he was he was very good when he when he did play for them um for them last season so it's I mean, they, they do sign, you know, really, I think Rykovic is an absolute bargain. Um, I think they probably didn't, didn't sign for that much money. Um, Four million, but, I think, yeah. Yeah, in that region. Quite a lot for him. Um, but, this, I mean, this season has been, he's been, the defence has been brilliant, but if you do somehow get past the defence, Rykovic has been there just stopping everything. I think this, this could be his one and only season um, with them because he's been that impressive. I'm sure there'll be a, quite a few European clubs looking to sign a to sign a keeper. Honestly, like I don't know many teams that wouldn't take Rakovic. It's just because he plays for one mm. of the, not one of the elite teams in Europe. You might be able, you might go like, oh, you know, he's he's not this, he's not that. But honestly, like just for pure shot stopping ability. He's incredible. He's saved three penalties. He's faced three penalties and <laughs> saved three penalties. What is that about? I, I know Kanati scored the rebound. That's not really his fault. But he scored three, saved three penalties. I think you can be a good goalkeeper and not be good at saving penalties. But if you're good at saving penalties, you're automatically a good goalkeeper. It's just my catch-22, honestly. I think, I think that's how it works. I mean, there's all this rage 
recently a big teams about Spanish goalkeepers. Oh, you know, you need to go get a Spanish goalkeeper, dude. You need to get your you need to go get your De Gea's and your K Paris to Balaga. But honestly, I don't see Rykovic far off that like top bracket. I think I think he's pretty insane. But Ramps, they've won none of their last five now, despite facing Amiens, Strasbourg and Nîmes in this run. Nathan, do you think this is just a little bit of a blip for the team? You don't think this is a sign of, of worse things to come at Ramps? Uh, yeah, um, I think that's pretty safe <laughs> to say, really. It's, it, uh, put it as bluntly as possible, I suppose, because uh, Ramps have been exactly the same as they were last season, this season, really. They are so, so tough to score against mm. and if you do manage to, the, the difficult thing is at the moment for them is if you do manage to score against them, you tend to take something from them. Uh, there's only a couple of teams I can see that have really actually scored a goal and not gone on to sort of win the game. I'm looking at there was the one against the, uh, Saint-Étienne scored, but they're in awful form. There was you go back further. The only other team not to get anything was a is a cup game. Um, other than that, if you score against Ras, you get something. If you don't score against Ras don't expect anything so that's going to be the key really I mean I can't it, it then transfers to the other teams that's why at the moment if you're Ras, if you're not scoring goals it's not an enormous worry because it's so difficult to score against them I mean I think I think I was just, I think everyone was pretty surprised by the result of the weekend against Nîmes really that um, all of a sudden they come out of their shell and grab two goals and Looking at this game in midweek, they obviously have Rajkovic to thank, and I think the defence has been good. At, but Amion have only scored from a penalty. They've finally got a couple of players back fit to try and grab some goals, so that has helped them a little bit. And in fact, Ras's goal was really nice, and they had one chance right near the end where mm. they could have nicked the point. So, you know, uh, the old adage is win your home games, take try and take a point away from home. And even though it's against Amiens and these games that they've had recently, you know, the, like you mentioned against against Nîmes as well, and the game against Strasbourg in the cup, but they at least got that in on penalties. At least they're they're at least picking up bits. I, 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 it's a minor blip in the road. I mean, they've got Paris Saint Germain in the Coupe de France semi final soon. They'll look forward to that. Then they have Metz at home, Angers away, which may be a bit more of a tricky one, and then Nice at home again. I, I'm not at all worried about them. They they are so defensively solid, as the boys have already mentioned, goalkeeper-wise. The defense centre-back period has been excellent. Again, you know, Abdelhamid is one of the most unsung players in, in league, and he's been an absolute stalwart again. And it's just hard to see them lose games in those close games where where they keep it close and stuff like that. They just really hope that they can... Udan will be a miss even though he's not been as good this season. He will be a miss mm. of, of some sort. I think his head was turned possibly in the summer, which has maybe affected yeah. his form. Let's see how he does at, at, at Bordeaux now. But um, if they can just get someone getting a couple of goals, if they can find another little bargain like they got Zanelli last season that really transformed them. Because Udan's got, the, uh, 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 got them in the exact same place where they are defensively solid. If they can find someone to score goals especially how Liga is set up at the moment, they could be dangerous and heading towards Europe. The weird thing with Haas is that, you know, first I can't explain it, but for some reason, the they hugely underperformed against the bottom five in Liga. That's like the, it's the bracket against which they have the fewest points. Uh, and I think Haas followers, when they saw the calendar for January and they saw that Haas was playing Nîmes, Amiens and Metz, 
when comparing it to that trend, you know, it kind of sounded like bad news. And I really don't know why they struggle so much against those smaller sides. Um, although, although one thing I have noticed since they came back to Ligue 1 last season is that uh, when you in weeks where they have midweek matches, they tend to struggle both in the midweek and the following weekend. Um, and that's, you know, been the case since the return from the Christmas break, where they started in the cup match, which they lost against Monaco. Uh, then they had a, a League Cup quarterfinal, which was a, I mean, a draw that they won on penalties. Uh, but that was midweek last week. They lost over the weekend, and then they played again on Wednesday this week and failed to win that again. Um, and I think that goes to show, to some extent, that even though they are capable of, of very good results there is still a gap with bigger clubs in terms of possibly physical preparation and, and squad depth and, you know, the ability to put, go through the process, the whole entire process of playing a match, not just the 90 minutes, but, you know, the preparing tactically and, and so on. Um, they need more time than just three days for that, possibly. The good news for them is that they, having been knocked out of the Coupe de France, they are not playing this weekend, so they have a full week ahead of the Coupe de la Ligue semi-final next week against PSG at home, um, which is a very exciting fixture. Uh, I just want to add very quickly as well to, to Pierre's point. I think he makes an excellent point that they do seem to struggle against the, the smaller teams. Maybe that's because, especially this season at least anyway, they're more inviting of them. They're more expecting that expectation of them to come out and make a performance mm. compared to when they're against those bigger teams who have to come down and break them down is, is a massive difference yeah. because they don't really have that creativity in midfield or 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 up front really at the moment without someone like Zanelli who is someone that showed last season that he can unlock the door a little bit for them so do we do we have any information of when he's back I know they were thinking it might still he should be. be back soon I think yeah in the next yeah. few weeks yeah they were thinking it was going to be an entire year, wasn't it, during the time of his injury? So it was that was back in February, March time. So it might mm-hmm. be another, yeah, like you say, another couple of weeks. But someone like that, if they can find a nice little bargain that does something like that again, someone maybe in the midfield area centrally or or on the other side of the of the wing that just unlocks a little bit something for them because Dier is getting a couple of goals when he's getting chances. So um, that's maybe where they need to improve. But you're absolutely right, Pierre. They they also need to find someone like that so when they do play these smaller teams they can be a little bit more forthright and and, and create something and uh, not avoid well, avoid mm. these kind of results well actually on that note um the kind of revelation yesterday against Amiens was uh, the midfielder Moreto Kasama who is uh 21 years old and he's from Guinea-Bissau he signed i think last January from Porto, Porto. Yeah, yeah, and it was only his—it's only his second first-team appearance with Reims. The first one was last season, and so this one was his first uh, first-team match this season. And he was so so good. And he's a very small guy. Looks—I mean, he's tiny, looks frail, and so on. But he was all over the place defensively. Uh, he, he was really good technically as well. Got a few nutmegs in. Got some some nice passes, and he was filling in for. Romao and Chavalrin. Romao was suspended. Chavalrin, I don't know if Chavalrin was suspended or if he was injured for this one. I, I didn't see that actually, but um, we would definitely expect him to get more exp- more appearances in the first team based on that performance. It was quite phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the other team in this match who got the point, Amiens, 
So we've just looked at a team that are not in great form, but we're hopeful for. Thomas, Amion, they're a team not in great form. How hopeful are you of them getting out this rut? I'm kind of biased because I like Amion as a, as a club. <laughs> um, and Elsner's, I, 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 I think he's done a, a, quite a good job. You know, they've got limited resources. You know, Kanate's been out for, for quite a while. Um, it'd be good to see um, how he how he comes back. Um, but it's I'm not sure they'll they'll, they'll continue to struggle, um, and it will be a relegation fight for them. Um, but I, I think they probably just about have enough maybe to just scrape through um, in the league. They do have you know one or two uh, one or two good players. I mean. Kanate's going to be one of them. Garassi's been good when he's when he's played. Um, he's quite good at occupying defenders um, and making space for those other teammates. So it, it's it's one of them ones where it, it can depend on the people, you know, the, the clubs in around them, how they do, how they fare, um, more so than Amiel's performances. Mm. Okay, let's move on to two of the or some of the cup games that are set to be played this weekend in the Coup de France. Let's start with an all-league fixture, Nantes versus Lyon. Nathan, going into this match, which manager, which club, which team do you think will be craving silverware just that bit more this season? Of course, you have to remember both managers are just in their first seasons at the club. Um, Christian Gurkhoff and Rudy Garcia. Garcia has won the competition in his career at Lille in 2011. But do you think Nantes or Lyon will will want this trophy a bit more? You have to remember that Nantes are kind of getting to that stage where they could go for Champions League football, whereas Lyon have a little bit less to play for in the league. What do you think of that going into this match, Nathan? Yeah, it's a interesting thing to think about, really, because I think both will quite like it for different reasons, really. I, I think that... Rudy Garcia will be desperate to have some kind of distraction from the league for a little while because Leon have been up and down under him. And this may be a little bit of a run here. They're in the Champions League's last 16. If they can do okay in that game as well, maybe that gets him back on side and maybe the players playing a little bit better and, and, and maybe giving them a bit of a, a boost for the league form because they're not a million miles away. They're only three points behind Nantes themselves and that pushes them into fourth. And then, you know, a couple of results going your way, given how Liga has been this season, it, it, it gives you a real platform pretty quickly. So I don't think he, he's overly worried. That's why they're still sort of seventh, despite that that up and down uh, momentum they've got. But at the same time for Nantes, they, they seem to be on the up and up at the moment. They've got some really nice results against teams sort of mid, and lower they've not done particularly well against the teams around them in the league at least but would a cup distract from what they've done okay in the league yes and no because the thing is is if not don't try and go for this sort of cup game the the, the issue they have is again with that closeness of the league one defeat and a couple of wins for everyone else brings everyone back into focus possibly lifts a couple above them and then they're back in mid-table so I don't think they can treat it lightly. I think they've got a good chance with them being at home as well against Leon as well. Get that crowd behind them. They've been playing some really nice football. I think um, 
a couple of players are really coming into the fore, especially, I'm sure many will agree, in, over the last month or so, that Ludovic Blas has been really, really good, finally sort of a, a, coming to that potential where we saw it, um, where we heard a lot from Gangon, but didn't see much. But um, he, we're certainly seeing plenty of it and not over the last couple of months. And he's a real driving force for them, as well as uh, some of the other attacking players around them. I know Moses Simon has had some some really good games as well and uh, they've been pretty solid defensively and on occasion as well so they'll be pretty hopeful though and I'm sure Gokov will, will reiterate that they want to be fighting all, all fronts that they can but I think it's more important for Rudy Garcia I think that in a year where Paris Saint-Germain are running away with the league where they are probably then focused on the Champions League are they really got an eye on winning a treble again um, if it means that they've progressed further than Champions League, maybe this is their chance to win something. They haven't won much in a long while. You know, Leon fans are probably getting antsy about that as well. So I think if you had to stress one, I think this is maybe a little bit more on Rudy Garcia than Gorkov. But at the same time, Gorkov will be pretty pleased if his team go through because it does give you a, a really nice chance at potentially, a, a, a potentially at least anyway, a nice night out at the, the Coupe de France, at the Pot de France in the in a couple of months' time, if they can keep that form going. Mm, it, it is said to be a quite a high-stakes match then for both teams. Thomas, as we can often see in these cup games, you know, it depends how much um, emphasis both clubs are putting on the team, but you can see some of the younger players come into the fore and have a bit more of an opportunity. Ryan Cherkey was one in the previous round. I can't remember if it was the Coupe de France or Coupe de la Ligue, but he scored his first uh, professional goal for the club, a lovely little chip. But another young player that has been getting on the map with Leon has been Maxence Cacare, centre midfield. You could even say he's a bit more of a first-team player these days rather than just a youth prospect coming through. But who's exciting you a little bit more at the moment, Thomas? Is it Ryan Cherky coming through, only 16 years old, and lots of buzz coming from the Youth Academy and some examples in the first team? Or is it more Maxence Cacare, who's really starting to nail down that midfield position in Leon? What do you think, Thomas? I think it's it's got, got to be Cacare. It looks like it's more likely that he will be play more than than Shirky. Shirky's still a phenomenal, phenomenally talented player, uh, but Kakare just he just looks really really great. I mean, um, obviously Tussar's been linked away to uh, Hertha Berlin, and Kakare's come from the academy, and, and you think, well, maybe they should might be okay without Tussar um, Tussar leaving. It's just another, another example of Leon's amazing academy, and there's a, a lot of players that, that don't get to start and, and do get, you know, um, go elsewhere in, in the lower division of France and, and still still talented players, but Kakare is one of them one of the ones where, you know, if, if they come through the Leon Academy, you know that they're, they're going to be a very talented player and he's, and he's shown it. He's only played a few games, but you can already see um, that he's going to be, that he's going to be playing much, much more. And by the end of the season, he could just be a, a regular starter. Mm. Okay, let me get your score predictions for this match, gentlemen. Nantes versus Lyon. Pierre-Paul, I'll start with you. Who do you see coming out victorious in this cup game between the two Ligue 1 sides? Um, I really hate predicting Lyon because I, I can. I feel like I never get it right. Uh, but I think that Nantes will edge it on this one. 
And really the only reason I think it is because um, Lyon have that uh, semi-final in the Coupe de la Ligue, which is next week, uh, which is kind of, I, I, they might get distracted by that shiny object, I think, really. And uh, it, it, yeah, I'll say 2-1 Nantes. Thomas, what do you think? It's going to be a tricky one. Um, I reckon Leon just about to take this, but it could go to penalties. I'll say uh, one all, and then they win on penalties. Which team win on penalties, sorry? Uh, Leon. Leon, right, okay. And Nathan, what do you think? Uh, I'm going to go for a 1-0 win for Nantes, I think. I think that this will be a... I don't think it's necessarily as big as upset I want, but I, I do want to put on blast that I, I will be in Nantes in April and they're playing Leon in the league then. So, you know, if anyone from Le Canary wants to hook me up, that will be lovely. But um, <laughs> that's not why I'm picking them, but not to win one now. I'm going to back you up. I think the home side will get the win. I, I see Leon getting on the score sheet. Uh, I, I really do. But... I'll I'll go two one Nantes. I don't think it'll be an insane three four eight nine ten match, but I'll go two one. I think Nantes should pip this one and get into the next round. And the next game we are going to look at is well, if it, this time last year you would have said it's an all Ligue affair, Montpellier <laughs> versus Can uh, Can, who obviously got relegated last season, just finishing in nineteenth, only missing out on the playoff place, but I think on goal difference or by one point or whatnot, but it was very tight last season. They've gone down to League Two and Thomas, I want to pass this on to you. How how have Can been since their relegation? Um pretty terrible until fairly recently. <laughs> um they've they've struggled with obviously um losses to quite a few key players. You know, I'm thinking uh Fier, pronounce his name um, he was instrumental last season um, it was just prior to the creativity that that the nobody else in the, in the team really had and obviously um, uh, Brice uh, Samba who's now at mm. uh, Nottingham Forest and according to Nathan he's um, getting very good reviews from the from the fans over there <laughs> um, and also obviously Ninga but he was having a lot of injury issues and he's gone to, to Angers um, the the they had an interesting transfer window. Um, they brought in quite a few experienced players from from Ligue 1 and, and, and Ligue 2. Um, their funny fact um, of the day is that their um, head of recruitment, uh, Johan Udli, uh, was actually uh, at uh, Angers as a player. Uh, he, was, he was there for a year and... Um, Immediately after retiring, he became part of the recruitment cell without any prior experience. And then he's been there for a few years, and uh, he was had appointed to have a recruitment in the uh, in the summer, which is quite an interesting story. Um, but it hasn't really worked for them uh, recently. Uh, but obviously, they've got in uh, Pascal uh, Duplass, um, who we all know is a <laughs> is a An absolute a, legend, a, a fiery <laughs> character, and uh, yes. Quite a legend uh, to lose, um, and he's actually really shored up the defence um, recently. I think they've only lost twice in the last ten games, um, and they look much better as a side. I mean, they're not the they're I think seventeenth or eighteenth in the in the, that might be higher, maybe sixteenth in the league, um, but they're looking 
upwards instead of you know worrying about the teams below them. Uh, they've been performing much better recently, and, and I think this could be you know they take that momentum perhaps into this into this cup game and and give Montpellier a bit of a, a bit of a scare. Mm. Montpellier will be the hosts for this match. Pierre Paul, what's been their story recently? How have Montpellier been doing in the league and in the cups and whatnot? Well, they got their first away win in the league uh, last weekend at Amiens, and it was about time for them to get that because they, you know, I think they have a really good team, and I, I think they're terrific and very exciting. Um, and it was frustrating to see them so limited away from their own stadium, unable to, to get those three points. Uh, they have their own fantastic four. I'm, I think I'm the first one to use that term for Montpellier, but <laughs> it's <laughs> the the two strikers, Andy Delors and uh, Gaëtan Laborde. Behind them, Florent Mollet, who I think is injured right now, and uh, Deji Savanier, who we mentioned him earlier, came from Nîmes last summer and... Since he's been back from injury, has also been very good. Scored some, some, a couple of really good goals, and uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I find them super exciting to watch. Now, maybe I'm a little bit biased because uh, that's the city that my mother and my family is from. But oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do think it's an interesting one. On is it on Sunday, Montpellier? Um, yeah. I'm doubly biased, full disclosure, because Montpellier on one side, the other side is Caen, who is managed by, as you say, Thomas, uh, managed by Pascal Duprat, who was the legendary manager of not only of Toulouse, but also of Evian, my, 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 my dearest <laughs> Evian. Um, and I, I do think, um, I mean, it, it's always fun to see what Duprat can pull off. And he has managed to re-energize Caen uh, and, and, you know, re-energize the fans as well. And he's kind of your perfect man to draw attention away from anything that can be wrong at a club and, you know, make things work on the pitch. Um, because I don't remember the full story exactly, but I know there was kind of contested leadership at Caen. The, the president last season was ousted and replaced by someone else. And... There was a lot of uh, anger and tension around that. And also going into the, this season in Ligue 2, the fans had uh, kind of rejected the club and, and were uh, celebrating goals by other teams, I think, uh, in their own stadium, <laughs> which obviously was not a, a very nice atmosphere. But Duprat is really your man to turn that kind of stuff around. Um, and uh, they have this new... American striker who's 19 years old. I don't know if he'll be any good, but he signed for them in October, started playing a little bit after that, and he's scored three goals since. Uh, his name is Nicholas um, Giocanini. Giocani. Um, and yeah, there we go. I, I think it's going to be a good match, really. I hope so, anyways, because I'll be watching it. So. Mm. Whilst that's interesting, I didn't know you had like links to Montpellier so I, I know who, I know who you're going to choose as your uh, as your selection for this match let's ask you score predictions so it, it am I right in saying this will be Cannes first match against the Ligue 1 team since relegation have they made anyone in the cup or anything um I you're correct it'll be yeah so so this will be their, their first time you know for, for a lot of fans who maybe just haven't even watched them since they've gone down this will be the first time to go hey we still exist we're still 
we've still got something about us. Pierre Paul, where do you, how do you see this game going? Do you think Can will be able to put up a good fight? They've been playing a little bit better recently, or do you think Montpellier will show their their league and quality and progress to the next round here? Well, Duprat does love a, a cup run, and he, he brought Evian to the final, but I don't think uh, I don't think they can do it here. First of all, they're away, and, and Montpellier is, you know, the reverse side of Montpellier being bad away is that they get all their points at home. They're quite good at home. Um, they didn't have a midweek match or anything. They don't have a match until next weekend. So I think Montpellier will probably be putting a pretty strong lineup out there. Uh, in in the previous round, they had played Laborde and Delors and uh, other starters as well. So I really think, n- not because I'm from Montpellier, but just because Montpellier is better, they'll be winning this one. And I'll say... 3-0 Nathan how do you see this one going do you think it'll be as one-sided to Montpellier like Pierre Paul says uh, yes um, Caen have been bad have continued to be bad they've got no one they've got looking at the team they've got no one who can score goals at the moment either so and Montpellier look nice and refreshed I think the break has helped them a little bit they sort of floundered out despite sort of a 4-0 win just before the winter break so uh, I'm I'm sticking with what Pierre Paul said I, I think a 3-0 win to Montpellier makes sense mm. and Thomas round it off how do you think this game will finish uh, I'm going to go with a closer 1-0 win for Montpellier 1-0 what, do you think can will really be able to kind of give them a little bit of the run around at times yeah, I think they've been, they've definitely improved under under Duprat. So, um, and they've got you know um, some okay players. Uh, the one one sort of a talent watch to watch out for is a a guy that signed um, this uh, last summer, um, Caleb Seri, who's been quite good for him. He's only young, young, uh, nineteen years old, uh, but he's a, a talented player. And he, I don't think he'll be there very long. Quickly, just to finish off, two of the other more notable. Uh, Coup de France matches. Just going to quickly touch on this. Nathan, Lorient versus PSG. That's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Top of Ligue 2 against top of Ligue 1. What do you think the story of that match will be? How do you see that going? I think it could be pretty interesting, really, especially with Lorient being at home. Um, they've been in been in Ligue 2 for a little while now, but they've always been here, there or thereabouts. It looks like maybe this season might be their, their year to come back, but they've, you know... Th- might give a little bit of trouble to PSG because you never really know what they're going to be like in a cup game. And you're thinking that they've had two toughish games or at least hardworking games against Monaco. Um, Lorient are, 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 are a real heavy side in terms of scoring. They're the top scorers in, in Ligue 2, only well, technically level with Gangon, but they've conceded a lot less um, with just 16. They've got plus 16 goal difference. That's not... Something necessarily Paris Saint-Germain will, will strike fear into them, but at the same time, who are they going to put out? Are they going to put out a, a slightly weakened side? Are they going to try and rest some players for these fixtures coming up sooner rather than later? Um, is this maybe their ideal time to maybe rest some players for that midweek game we've mentioned against Rance in the Coupe de France, uh, sorry, Coupe de la Ligue semi-final, which, you know, with it being the last iteration maybe they want to go out as the final winners of that so and then they've got um, a way to Lille next weekend as well maybe thinking ahead to that so I think there's a possibility of something at least here I don't think it's it's completely out of the realm of questioning especially when you're facing a team that's that's in form that's you know 
winning games in their own league, it tends to happen in, in all sorts of competitions that uh, that teams can cause that kind of upset. And Lorient will not really fear them, really. From from memory, when they, they've played them a couple of years ago, but they were back in Liga, they, they were not absolutely blown out of the water. I think it'd be an interesting one to keep an eye out for, because especially with Paris Saint-Germain, you never know what side they're going to play out. And maybe we might have one of the big upsets. Let's wait and see. Mm, I think it'll be interesting to see, like, Lorion have been playing well, especially at home. They've got a very good record. I think they've won their last six matches at the Stade de Mastoir. Um And if PSG go out and they play, I don't know, Herrera, who's getting on a little bit, you know, if they completely just underestimate them and they go Aushishi, Kouassi, Herrera, um, Sergio Rico, I'm trying to think of other kind of second second field players. If they just completely underrate them, I think Lorient could honestly be in with a good chance here. Because sometimes the player, the teams that are top of league do play a lot better than the teams that are eighth in league. In. You know, what I mean, like just that spirit and the and the 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 momentum you can get can really lift you. So, um, Nathan, how how do you honestly see this one going? Though, do you think Lorient? Will actually pep it, or do you think PSG will just kind of show their prestige? I will have kind of two predictions here. If they play their normal sort of side, Paris Saint-Germain, I think it would be 2-0 to them. If Sergio Rico starts, knowing how poor he was at Fulham as well, and and how poor he's been in the past, <laughs> I think Lorient get a draw. And then may I think PSG still win on penalties, but I think if Sergio Rico is playing... I think Lorient get a draw. Mm, interesting, interesting. Uh, and just the last match of the episode, Pierre Paul. I just kind of want you to tell us about just rounds up the story about this match because it is incredible and it's been hitting a little bit of the media. But it's the Reunion team that are travelling back to the mainland, mainland France, to play Epinal. So the Reunion team, sorry, is Saint Pierreois, uh, who beat New York in the in the last round. Just, just tell us what's been the the run up to this match, this cup game. Uh, yeah, it's quite an incredible story. We we led on it after the first weekend on, on the Jeff Avencio the other a uh, couple of weeks ago, after the first Coupe de France weekend. Um, it's the first time a team from overseas makes it to this round. And to be honest, they absolutely have a chance because they're playing Epinal, as you said, who are in fourth division. Uh, and even though kind of officially Saint-Pierroise are listed as a sixth division as being from sixth tier. They're they can't they can't play in a higher division than that because they it that's the highest kind of level in Réunion. And in the in in La Réunion they are the best team by far. They've kind of they won all the trophies last season. Um, they probably have a bigger budget than a sixth division team in France would. I'd have to confirm that, but I definitely imagine it's true because they're quite popular on the island. Um, and obviously, as we said the other day, they have this kind of story of being able to attract famous players for the kind of final days of their career who want to keep playing while living on the beach, I guess. Um, <laughs> since their winning in Senior two weeks ago, uh, it's been a little bit uh, complicated for them because some of the players decided to stay in metropolitan France um, for the two weeks. Some of them flew back to probably see families or, you know, maybe, I don't know if they have other jobs as well or something, but uh, in any case, they were all back at the start of this week um, and they 
the complication was also that they need to find a training ground and, and a stadium and so on. So they'll be they'll be playing in. Uh, I mean, they're playing away, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, they're away. Okay, so they'll, they'll be playing in Epinal, which uh, is in the Champagne region east of, of Paris. Um, and I read somewhere that they were only going to have three training sessions this week or something um, going to that match. So it, it, that doesn't sound like a lot to me, but I think, I, I mean, I really hope they can do it. And I think they're capable of doing it against a fourth division team. Yeah, they beat Nord of Ligue 2 last time, so it, mm. it should be easier in theory but and also i don't know if you guys have seen the result of the first match which just finished yeah a few minutes ago as we were talking um that was Po hosting bordeaux and Po has won it 3-2 in oh. extra time what? Um, <laughs> with a goal yeah, in yeah. the 117th minute uh <laughs> which is nuts <laughs> so bordeaux go out and even though this is a, I, I think this is a great story for Po. And um, I mean, I watched the first half and I watched a little bit at halftime. There was this kind of really exceptional thing at halftime where they let in the TV cameras for the coaches' team talk, so you could watch and, and listen to that, um, which, which I thought was super interesting. And, and the coach, his name is, uh, I have it here, Bruno Irles. Um, and he's a former professional player who's played. Uh, he was so he, there's an interview with him in L'Equipe today and talks a little bit about his, the kind of ideas and so on. And um, I was just very glad to see that he's a former. He used to play for Ar- Arsene Wenger, so you know the inspiration is there. <laughs> Great result for <laughs> them. And uh, sorry. You go back. Yeah, just just saying that I, I watched the, the first half mm-hmm. and they just sort of contained Bordeaux, give uh, allow Bordeaux to have a lot of the ball, but they 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 did counter really well. And the second goal was a really good counter attack. Yeah, um, it was good combination play between the two forwards, and uh, it was um, destined that we'd have Nathan on and, and De Preville would score would score <laughs> a goal, uh, <laughs> but unfortunately it wasn't it wasn't enough. Mm. Yeah. Well, Written in the stars, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. I think the bad news, though, is that... I mean, the atmosphere is so bad at Bordeaux right now, and losing to a third-division team is just going to make things worse, and, and the fans are going to continue being so upset and so on. And I mean, I, I don't have any connection to Bordeaux. I'm completely neutral, but I just... Um, yeah, it's a little sad when, when that kind of stuff happens, I think. I really hope they don't just completely knee-jerk and kick us out or something stupid like that because <laughs> managers aren't allowed to have bad spells anymore, I feel. They're not allowed to like ride out the storm. and it, mm. it's, been, it's been a wee bit commonplace in the last few years to, for Bordeaux to be a bit trigger-happy with their managers. So I honestly wouldn't be surprised if I read that Sousa was just kicked out. I wouldn't agree with it, but I'd, I'd find it stupid. Okay, <clears throat> I... That's us finished all your all the games and stuff. I'm going to finish with a little bit of a PSA. I've got some things for you all to do and you all to go and see and read and whatnot. So, of course, just generally, if you want more information on all your things, French football and all that jazz in English, you can go to the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com. Obviously, the best content uh, from some of these guys doing their opinions and all their writings. Fantastic. And you can also find us on Twitter at GFFN. Also, I must remind you, please go and give the GFFN 100 a good read. It's a catalogue of the best 
100 best players in France from last year, all written in English with loads of detail. Um, some of these guys wrote some of the articles as well, but some of the players as well. Uh, also a little bit of a, uh, there's a portion on some of the players that may become stars in 2020. A good read for anyone interested in like Football Index, I think, for instance, like myself. Uh, it's a good way to kind of see who's about to come on the block in France. Also, check out Get Football's newest outlet, Get Spanish Football News. It's the latest website from Get Football and aims to give you the best news, opinions and insight into the Spanish game in English. Uh, I have to say congrats to Kieran Quayle, who was announced as the new editor-in-chief, and I'm sure there's lots of great content just around the corner with that. The website is getfootballnewsspain.com, and you can find them on Twitter at gspanishfn. Um, it's as annoying, because the Twitter at... So, you know, we've got Get German Football News, Get Italian Football News, and that's all, like, GFFN or G. GFN or, or whatever it is, I'm mucking up. The Spanish one, GSFN on Twitter, was taken by some dead spa, uh, like fashion network page. They've not tweeted since 2010. Oh, no. They're just <laughs> getting in the way. So whoever set up the account must have been like, geez, I can't get GSFN, even though it's a dead page. Although Twitter, I think, said that they were going to do something about that. They were going to kill dead accounts after a while. So they might be able to get GSFN at some point. But yeah, go read the GFFN 100. It's fantastic. Go follow and all the stuff on Get Football News Spain because it's great. It's going to be great content, just like over here in France in the sun, sipping in the shade. <laughs> uh, all right, thank you very much for listening. I've been joined by Nathan Staples, Pierre Paul Birmingham, uh, and Nathan Staples. I've written that twice in my notes. Uh, and Thomas Wiseman. <laughs> so nice to name me twice. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, New York, New York. Um, I have been Lewis McParlane. You can find me on Twitter by the same name, but good luck spelling my surname. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. See you later.